Well, good morning. If you're new today, City Lights is our initiative to knock down the walls of Southbrook and build community within our cities represented. We have from Wilmington to Inglewood, from Springfield to Westchester, uh, Mason to Huber Heights, and, and we want to build community in those cities and then be light in those communities. And uh, that's what City Lights is about. If you have questions about that, we are out there, many of us will be out there, a bunch of our leadership team and staff will be out there after today as we're trying to keep you updated every single week on what is happening with City Lights. And as many of you know, I've, I've characterized this and we do on our staff, of the largest Lego set you can get your kid is 7,541 piece Millennium Falcon that is 33 inches wide and 22 inches long and 8 inches high and and you'll never buy that for your child at Christmas as a gift because if you do, it's a huge, huge mistake. You're going to spend a lot of your life trying to put that together. But that's the scope of this project is, the, is that we're just putting one brick at a time and building this structure of people to be light to our community. And in doing so, we build care, we build connection, we have cause, we're living on mission way outside, so that if Martians stole our building, our church would just go along just fine. So Martians have at it. We would find another way to do these weekend gatherings, but we, our church could go on just fine. And we'd love for you to be a part of that as we build into this. In the next few weeks, we will most likely be introducing you to a couple of our regional pastors that uh, I think we're going to uh, be able to make appointments on. Today, here's what impacts you today, is uh, first of all, look at the screens here. City Lights is up as a website. Southbrook City Lights is up. So if you just want to make sure that your name is out there, that I am so interested in this, we've literally been taking people's names, addresses, uh, email addresses, and phone numbers, but you can go to southbrookcitylights.org. That is up, and, and uh, it will be operating as of now to initially say, hey, I'm a brick. I want in. I want to be a part of building this project of uh, being light to our community. It's been really cool the last few weeks since we launched this vision. One church we came across was the Bethel Church in Reading, Pennsylvania. If you have your phone, look up the Bethel effect. Because 17 years ago, Reading, California was ranked one of the worst places in America to live of cities under 100,000. Bethel Church was a church of 11,000 in that city. And they realize that that list does not say something about Reading as much as it says something about us. Because Jesus didn't say, go be the light of the church, build great churches. That's not what he said. What did he say? Be the light of the world. And so they went to city council, which is something we're going to do. They went to the governmental institutions in Reading and said, what can we do to make living in Reading, California better? What can we do to bring light into the dark spots? And some of the coolest things have happened as a result of that. From they went and, and the deteriorating Reading Theater and they, their, their disaster response team restored the Reading Theater and said, here, Reading, this is yours. The one year they had budget cutbacks in Reading and four police officers were going to lose their jobs and the church, Bethel Church, said, we'll take care of their salaries for a year. And we're just going to do that. And these are the kind of things, and now 17 years later, years later, and nationally, it's known as the Bethel Effect. 
And it's been so cool to come across that since we launched this. And, and that's what we want to be. We want years from now people say, man, the city lights effect. Because we, we're going we're gonna to cooperate with other churches and get other churches involved in this. This is not going to just be a Southbrook thing. This is going to be across, as Pete said, lines of race and religion and uh, just go into our communities. Because do we need it, friends? Do we need Is there darkness out there? You better believe it. You better believe it. And the world needs flashlights. Okay, the world needs flashlights joining together, and we want you to be a part of that. The second thing is as we worship through our generosity back to God, is those of us who use PushPay, there is now a City Lights tab on PushPay. So many of you, as I've cast this vision, I said, listen, we're back. Some of you have said, boy, I wish I had been a part of Southbrook in the early days when it was exciting and new. Well, you've gotten your wish because we're back there now. Okay, we're trying to launch something and we don't have the money to launch this. So we're back to these regional pastor appointments are the only paid positions that are going to launch this. The four regions are the only paid positions. And so the rest of them are going to be totally driven by people who are volunteers and trained and everything. And so we're back to, in the early days, we would hire someone and go, I, we need this student pastor because we don't have a student pastor. We have students. And, uh, oh, by the way, God, help us. And, you know, one time we hired Frank Crockett to be our student pastor. And that week, Jim and Sue Miller came and said, hey, we're going to provide Frank's salary for three months. And that's how it happened. And so we want you to be a part of this. If you hear someone say, man, Mac Mahan's talking a lot about money, well, here's what you say to them. Yes, he is, because I am. To those of you who've been blessed, if you don't want to do, be a part of this, don't be a part of it. Don't, don't, don't feel any pressure. For those of you that God right now is blessing you, and you go, you know what? We would love to know that we were the foundation part of City Lights and making these regional pastors happen then go to that tab on PushPay, download that app if you haven't done it, but if you have, go to the City Lights tab. If you write a check, just memo at City Lights, and uh, we would love for you to be a part of this movement that we're making happen. So we're going to take that up right now, or did we already do that? We didn't do that yet. We're going to take up that offering right now. While they're doing that, and while you're going to your PushPay app, a couple things. We have a child dedication coming up March 22nd, but the class is next Saturday at 5.30 to learn about child dedication. And if you want um, that child to be dedicated, then we want to, uh, you to be a part of that March 22nd. And then March 6th and 7th, two weeks from now, we have a 5S workshop. Watch 5S. 5S is how we have condensed the journey of being a, an apprentice of Jesus. That's really the word we often hear in Christian buzzwords, disciple. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today is the 5S journey, is what we call it around here, of how you introduce your, to your life solitude, scripture, service, support, and significant events, and leveraging those so that Christ can, can change you and live in you. And that's coming up March 6th and 7th. A number of us will be leading that workshop, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. While you're taking up the offering, look at this picture. How many of you are disturbed by this picture right here? Look at this picture. Coming up, there it is. The Beebs and Zach, F, uh, uh, and Miley and Leo and Emma and a really scary Nicolas Cage there. And you know what? When you look up celebrity worship, that's one of the images that'll come up on Google. Celebrity worship. How many of you are disturbed by that picture? 
It, yeah, it's a little disturbing, isn't it? There's, there's almost, and some people would be, that's sacrilegious. Well, celebrity worship is sacrilegious, and here's why. It's more rampant today than ever. It's been accelerated by, uh, years ago, somebody found out that if we attach this celebrity to our toothpaste, more people will buy our toothpaste and our shampoo and our clothes and drive our cars and play with our golf clubs and so, really, the advertising age really amped up celebrity worship. That I can experience what's called reflected glory. You ever know people who just need to be around famous people? It's, a, it's this need for reflected glory. This need, I think it comes from a couple of areas. It comes from a, a sense of escapism, which is not a terrible thing. But celebrities live these lives that are bigger than reality, and they look bad. They don't have wrinkles. You ever notice that? Celebrities have no wrinkles. You go, that's not true. No, it's not true. But you always see them when they've been photoshopped. I saw, go to, there's a website you can go to and what celebrities look like non-photoshopped. The old preacher Billy Sunday said, you know, he was asked one time, should we wear makeup? And he goes, if a barn needs painted, paint it, man. Photoshop it, right? Photoshop it. But there's a website you can go to where you see, you see uh, Jennifer Aniston not photoshopped. You see Beyonce not photoshopped. And, and the lives that they live that are so big, it's not real. It's not real, but that's part of the reason why we get sucked into that is, is we get to escape our wrinkly life, our life that is like seems boring by, by comparison. You ever, any of you old enough to remember this picture right here? Look at this picture. This started really with Elvis and then the British invasion. This is a picture from the British. What was the British invasion? The Beatles. And I always get a kick out of people in our culture who say, I don't understand worship. Have you ever been to a concert? <laughs> Have you ever been to a March Madness basketball game? That's worship. It's just people giving, oh, you know. You know remember, remember when Tom Jones used to hand, well, I can't even say what Tom Jones used to do in his concerts. But, but, but that's all worship is. It's like, oh my gosh, I find my identity in the Fab Four. I find my identity in this person. And a part of the reason for it is escapism, but the other part of it is transcendence. We were made for worship. We were made to connect our souls to something larger to, than ourselves. We were made to adore. We were made to follow and to say, this is my identity. And if in the absence of doing that with your creator and your heavenly father, you will find an idol. Or an idol will find you. And you will get your, that's what an idol is, is any place, any person, any possession you get your identity from, that's an idol. And you become a disciple of that idol. You become an apprentice of that idol. We become what we worship. So, flashback. February 1976, I'm an eighth grader, and I go to see Ohio State and Purdue play a basketball game at St. John Arena, and I see a guy, freshman guard at Purdue University, and I'm at, oh my gosh, that's my guy. That's who I want to play like. And his name was Kyle Macy. Kyle Macy 
transferred from Purdue to the University of Kentucky, set out a year, 1978. He was the point guard on the 78 UK National Championship basketball team. Jack Gibbons, Rick Roby, great team. And, I mean, I just followed everything I could back then of Kyle Macy, which was just every once in a while an article would show up, but it wasn't the social media which just feeds celebrity worship that we have today. And so fast forward, March 1978, we had just played at the University of Dayton Arena in the regional tournament, and, and uh, about a week later, the University of Kentucky with Kyle Macy played Michigan State University at UD Arena, and that made me feel like I had been on holy ground. Because Kyle Macy and UK was in the same locker room we had been in. If I'd have known that, I would have left something behind to say, I am Charlie McMahon, I'm here to worship you. <laughs> and so that week, Sports Illustrated showed this picture, real, real close. Anybody, any old UD fans remember those, that scoreboard with the Ponderosa sign? And, and yeah, and so that's a picture. And the actual one that was in Sports Illustrated that week was a split second later, he just got this perfect follow through. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I cut that picture out of Sports Illustrated. I put it on my mirror. And every day I would bow down before it and say, in the name of Kyle Macy, God, help me to shoot like he shoot, you know. So here's what happens with celebrity worship. So that be he became my idol. I was an apprentice. I was a disciple of Kyle Macy. One of his Routines was, was I learned as Kyle Macy's before he'd shoot a free throw, before the referee handed him a basketball, he would wipe his hands on his socks. He would bend over and he'd wipe his hands on his socks. And then he would bounce the ball three times and shoot a free throw. He shot 90-some percent, so I'm going to do that. So I didn't have sweaty hands, but it didn't matter. I would bend over and I would put my hands on my socks and I would bounce the ball three times. That's how I learned to shoot because I was a disciple. Because when you're a disciple of something, that's how you get your identity. You model yourself after whatever it is you worship. However, whoever it is, you follow. People say, I don't know what worship is. Yeah, you do. You've worshipped people, places, or things. People say, oh, what's discipleship? You ever had someone that you tried to model? You ever had someone that you tried to do what they do? And that they, if, they, if they wipe their socks, you wipe their socks. You didn't know why you wiped your socks. You wiped, yeah, you would have wiped their socks too. That's how much you worshipped them. <laughs> and that's what a disciple is. But here's the problem. Kyle Macy delivered on what an idol always promises. He really helped me be a better basketball player. I had a pattern to follow. But Kyle Macy failed me. He couldn't forgive my sins. He couldn't build my character. He couldn't help me transition from someone who is totally wrapped up in the things of this world that don't last to living a life of true transcendence that's built for eternity. He couldn't do that. Now, it's not Kyle Macy's fault. I don't know Kyle Macy, but I know people who do know him. He's a wonderful man, Christian man. But I became like my idol. It helped me in basketball. That's it. That's the limitation of an idol. And if you get that, you understand why Paul, when he writes to these Corinthian people that we're studying in the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians, why, we've seen this already and we see it now again, why he gets on this issue of celebrity worship. Why in 1 Corinthians we will see so much about idols. 
And it's because they had had false idols, and many of them had become Christians and were still idol worshiping. Look at these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Paul had started this church, and this is probably actually 2 Corinthians. We don't have what, what he refers to as another letter he had written. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. How? Well, there's jealousy and quarreling among you. You're, you're, you're worrying about things that don't matter in, the, in light of eternity. And you're, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, oh, I follow Paul. I'm a disciple of Paul. And another, I am a disciple of Apollos. I, I, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? Well, who's Apollos? Apollos was the one who came in after Paul had established the church in Corinth, and he was a very gifted teacher. He, was, he was, had a lot of charisma when he taught, and people said, Paul who? Who's Paul? I don't remember Paul. I just care about I, I'm after Paul. And they started having these factions. Sounds a lot like denominationalism when it gets really unhealthy. Is, I mean, we are followers of this person. We are followers of this person. And Paul says, wait a minute. This is about Christ. If you put your faith in hopes of anybody other than Christ, you are going to be let down. And he says, what after all, verse 5, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants. That's literally the word used for people who serve the food. See, Paul and Apollos aren't even the chefs. They're not the bakers. They're just the servants. Through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And he said, he uses a farming analogy, I planted you know, I started the church. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. It's not, it's not me. It's not Apollos. We are not the writers of the letter of the gospel. We are mere, merely mail carriers. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. It's so hard to get this through to people because we are so wired for transcendence that we do this in the Christian community. One, one thing you'll find if you're new to Christian community is the Christian community, if I may say it, is no different from the world with celebrity worship. No different. We do the same thing. We do it with speakers and singers, and we start putting our faith in all the wrong places. And Paul says this is what they were doing here. Verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. And then he transitions to an architectural analogy. You are God's building. Look at that picture. We'll learn this next week. That you and I, he even goes on to talk about later, we'll learn this next week, you are God's temple. You ever look at yourself, I'm a temple? The Old Testament prophesied that there will be a day when God does not inhabit buildings made of stone, but he inhabits buildings made of flesh. That he will send his spirit and we will be the temple. Now, what was the temple? The temple was the intersection between heaven and earth. It's where heaven met earth and earth met heaven. And he said, now that the day has come where you are the intersection between heaven and earth. Not a building. 
not a building. This is not like, this building isn't holier than if you stepped outside this building and you stepped on God's green earth. This isn't holier. You are the temple. You are God's building. Look what he says. And by the grace God has given me, by the gifting God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it. That's Paul's. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus would say this, build your house upon the rock, not on the sand. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work, their life will be shown for what it is. Because the big D, capital D, day, will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Fire is always representative of the reality of God's presence, that God is a consuming fire. He, if he revealed himself fully to us, it would consume us. If what has been built survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. It's not about whether you're going to be in heaven or not, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now look at this. It's an interesting thing because we often in the West, we, we get real binary. And so we see being saved as, well, yesterday I hadn't said Jesus is Lord. I said it today. Now I'm saved. And so what we do is what, what Dallas Word called barcoding. Have you been barcoded? Did you get dunked? Did you say the right words? And you're barcoded in. And it doesn't matter how you live. Because faith is about orthodoxy, not orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is, oh man, it's all about you saying the right things and believing the right things. But Jesus was concerned about orthopraxy, which is how you live. And so salvation to Paul was not, well, yesterday I was in hell. But today I'm in heaven and now I have the eternal life insurance policy. So I can live like I want, but when I die, I'm going to heaven. And many of it, I know, you were raised in a theology like that. And that is so far from the Jesus way. The Jesus way was, I've made a decision, but it's for him to get heaven into me. And the evidence of heaven will be my life is about gold, silver, and costly stones, not wood, hay, and straw. Look at, look at how this reads in the Message Bible. I love how this reads. Verse 9, or put another way, you're God's house using the gift God gave me as a good architect. I designed blueprints. Apollos is putting up the walls. And let each carpenter, that's you, who comes on the job, take care to build on the foundation of Christ. Next verse. Remember, there's only one foundation, the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. So Jesus is the carpenter who is your supplier. Eventually, there's going to be an inspection. If you use cheaper, inferior materials, you'll be found out. It's going to be revealed. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part of the building will be torn out and started over. But you won't be torn out. You'll survive, but just barely. And so he's drawing this picture of the fact that the life you live here matters. Three truths I want you to see from this. This week I tried to complicate this message because it seemed way too simple to me, but dang it, it's really simple. Here it is. First truth, your life matters. This life matters. 
I speak to a lot of middle schoolers and high schoolers, and I frequently, when I'm with a new group, I'll say, hey, gang, when do you think your life starts? And inevitably, they'll say two things. Either in college, oh, when I'm out of the house, life will start. <laughs> or after college, when I get out of college, then I'll start my life. Your life started now. It's already started. You're choosing building materials right now. You're choosing the foundation of your life right now. You don't realize it. You've already started building. You're making decisions that are going to impact your life for a very, very long time. How you live now, whether you realize it or not, has great meaning. I came to Christ because of a lack of meaning. It's just like, what is this about? What is all this about? Matter of fact, today I have more meaning than I can handle. So City Lights is like, I want to give away meaning because I have more meaning than I can want. Right? This life matters. One of my favorite commercials that came up during the Super Bowl was the remake of Go uh, Groundhog Day. Did anybody see that? It was a Jeep commercial, and they really condensed Groundhog Day in, in, into 30 or 45 seconds. How many of you have seen Groundhog Day, the movie with Bill Murray? And the, as soon as church is over today, run home and watch it if you haven't watched it, because it is the, it is the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes is what Groundhog Day is. And that is this, this weatherman, played by Bill Murray, uh, Phil, the weatherman, for four years now has had to go to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and watch Phil, the groundhog, come out of his hole, and whether he sees his shadow or not, and he's just an egotist, and he's fed up with this, this Hicksville act of watching a rat come out of a hole. And he's had it. And uh, it's, just, it's just brilliant. I, I went back this week and just looked at the script. And there are so many lines from that movie that I wanted to share with you today. But I need to teach the Bible too. So I just didn't want, you know, I just didn't have time for all that. But here's one. Here's one that always stands out to me in that movie. Is when, you know, he went through the phase where he realizes that every day I'm living the same day. Every day he wakes up to Sonny and Cher. Put your little hand in mine. And, you know, every day, hey, it's cold outside, you know. And every day he's waking up to that. And it's, initially it's fun because life doesn't matter. I can do what I want. It's great. And then it, it dawns on him one day, life doesn't matter. I can do what I want. And it doesn't matter. And it hits him. And there's a scene in the middle of the movie where he's sitting at a bar inside a bowling alley with two drunks. One of them is named Ralph. And Phil mutters to his drunk buddies, what would you do if you were stuck in one place? And every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered. And anybody remember Ralph's line? He burps and he goes, that about sums it up for me, he said. <laughs> Most men live lives of quiet desperation. And what is causing so much angst in our students is they have been told your life doesn't matter. Can you imagine being a student today and sent out and you're, you're on one end of Niagara Falls and you're getting ready to cross Niagara Falls to get to the other side and your culture's telling you, hey, before you go, um, this end's not attached very well. And, and by the way, the other side isn't attached very well, but enjoy the journey across Niagara Falls. Can you imagine growing up in a culture today where you're told, we don't know where you came from, and we don't know where you're going on the other side, but enjoy life, students. No wonder there's so many students in our schools that have no sense of meaning, and life's a cruel joke. 
if this passage of Scripture is true, life matters. Your little life matters. If you doubt whether your life matters, do something crazy on social media and the whole world will know about it tomorrow. You'll find out how many people are finding out that their life has a bigger impact than they realize because they do something screwy that shows up on social media and whoa. Well, God's already inspecting your life. That leads to truth number two. Accountability is real. If this passage is true, accountability is real. There is a judgment, capital D, day coming. Every single person in this room, I know where your life is headed. You're going to be the presence of a just and loving God someday. And at that point, you'll get feedback on what you did with your life. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought you said we're saved by grace. This passage seems to talk about judgment and fire. And I thought you were saved by grace. We are. We, you only have a relationship with God based on his gifting to you, his grace through Jesus Christ. You could not earn being in a relationship with a holy God. There's, there's nothing you could do that could earn entrance into God is in you and you are in him. That's what the legal term is called justification. You are justified by grace, meaning you're declared innocent that Christ has paid your penalty in some cosmic way that I don't understand. Christ paid my debt. And by grace, I enter into a community with God. Now, validation is a different thing. Validation is now the life I live that says I get it. God has loved me so much better your way, God. So much better your way. And the fact that I get that is shown by the life I live now. Let's say that someday you hear that I have gotten a membership. I am now a member at Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia. Have you heard about that little tournament they do down there in April called the Masters? Everybody heard of that? So it's kind of a big deal. And it is one of the two most exclusive clubs in the world. And someday you hear... Charlie McMahon's a member at Augusta National. We're paying him too much. You know, he need, no, you don't have to assume that. If you hear that I'm a member at Augusta National, you'll know it came by grace. You'll know that someone who knew the right people there interceded on my behalf and said, we trust this guy, we'll pay his fee, and I became a member, not because I earned it, because I'll never do anything to earn that. It'll be totally by grace. But let's say that I get this grace given to me. Oh my gosh, I'm a member of Augusta National. I didn't deserve this. I'm in. It doesn't matter how I live. And so one day, I come into the club and I'm getting ready to play golf. And I'm dressed like I was in 1978. I got a bunch of high top Nikes that are not tied. Because I drove my dad nuts by not tying my shoes back then. You remember that was a big deal with our military dad. I didn't tie my shoes. Oh, my gosh. My dad freaked out of that. Don't tie your shoes. Oh, my gosh. And I had tube socks. Anybody remember tube socks? And I probably, I probably had cut off jeans. Oof. That is not a good look. But that's the, you know, that's the way I was rednecks and nerk uh, dressed, you know. And I had a tank top. And I come into Augusta National. Hey, guys, I'm a member of Augusta National. I walk in there and my high top's not tied and my cutoff jeans and my tank top. Would it matter? Oh, yeah. It would matter. 
Because it would show that I don't understand the gift I've been given. I don't understand the gift I've been given. And there is a way to respect the traditions of that club. Now, don't get caught up in the traditions of a country club or anything. But just for this sake of this illustration, that I don't understand showing respect to this amazing gift. You see, your life is accountable, not because you can earn a relationship with God, but now your life gets to express what do you understand about that gift that you've been given. And now, we'll learn this in a couple weeks, you are a steward of that gift and how you live that out to respect the cost that God went to to secure you. Accountability is real. And as a matter of fact, Paul presents this picture here of someone who, I mean, they're in, but they still spent their life building with wood, hay, and straw. And so they're forgiven, but when, they're go, when they go through the blazing fire of forgiveness, there's nothing left. There's not much left. You see, here's, here's the choice. You need to think about this, Southbrook. There is the wood of worldly acquisition. Nothing wrong with worldly acquisition. People, places, and possessions. So you gauge your life on how many people work under me, the places I own or, or go to and frequent, and the possessions I have. You can do that, but it's wood. What happens to wood under fire? Burns up. There's the hay of human applause. You can live your life Nothing wrong with people applauding you. I don't know about you, but I'd love a standing ovation after today. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to stop you. Don't give me. Uh, I know this message is so great that you were already thinking that anyway. But no, I mean, who doesn't like applause? But if you live your life for that, you need to remember that on Sunday, those people who said, Hail Jesus, on Thursday said, Nail Jesus. It's, it's hay. All those likes that you look at on social media, they're hay. They're nothing. They're just, they're a whiff. They don't mean anything. There is the straw of status and success. Nothing wrong with status and success, especially if you leverage it for others and for the heaven to come to earth. But it's straw. And you're going to have to decide whether you want to live your life with head and straw or gold, silver, and costly stones. Because God made this really clear. The gold is loving Him. It was the gold of saying, my life is about not just believing in God, but this is a big step for many of you. Loving God. What we just did a few minutes ago. That's what we were doing. If you don't get it, when you see someone at a Justin Bieber concert or a Taylor Swift concert going crazy, they are loving. They are loving that person, right? And when you love someone, you make yourself vulnerable to that person. That's why you can believe in God and you don't have a relationship with God because you haven't made yourself vulnerable to him. That's the gold. That's where it starts. There's the silver of the second of these commandments. The greatest is loving people. Love God, love people. And the costly stones is bringing heaven to earth. That you are a temple. Do you see yourself that way? That's what you're designed for. Just as the temple was the place where heaven and earth met. And Jesus said, I am the living temple. You're going to destroy this. And I'm going to raise this temple up in three days. Now he said, you are my temple. I inhabit you. Collectively, we become this gemstone temple through city lights that says, whoa, that's a bright light coming into our darkness. 
And, and, and you know what? You can live your life that this week becomes significant. Why? Because you were intentional about being an agent of heaven coming to earth for someone who needed a little bit of heaven coming in. Do you know anyone who needs heaven? I bet you do. So someday we're going to be held accountable for that. And you got a decision to make, and that leads to the third one. And that is Christ is forever. One more life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The stuff of worldly acquisition is great, and human applause is great, and status and success are great. But it's with hay and straw. When we love God and we love people and we are an agent of bringing heaven to earth, that's the stuff that goes through the fire. What happens to gold when it goes through fire? It gets pure. It gets stronger. You see, gang, eternal life, the gift of eternal life has nothing to do with quantity. Do you know that? It has everything to do with quality. When Jesus talked about eternal life, the Jewish mind would have known that he wasn't talking about, hey, live like you want, but when you die, you got this insurance policy. And see, it goes on forever. It never expires. That wasn't at all, that's a Western way of thinking. Eternal life was a quality. I will make your life of the gold-silver substance that endures fires. It, it, it goes through the fire of God's piercing justice and love, and it comes out better. I will make your life an eternal quality of life. Have you ever been, were you ever at that, I remember when I was 20, I was like, uh, I, was, I, was, I was in the three little pigs house. Anybody remember that? It didn't last very long. Because life was huffing and puffing and was going to blow that house down because my life was just a little self-absorbed shanty. And in my parents' basement, I said, you win. And I said, I'm yours. And I have found that Philippians 1.6 is true. The, the, the work he started in you, he will carry on to completion. When I walk in that high school that I went to, and I loved my high school the greatest class. I loved it. But I, whenever I go back there, and I do as often as I can, because that person's dead, he built a new temple. He said, yeah, give me your shanty, and I'll build a temple made of gold and silver. And costly. Said, Not me. It's his work. There's a there's an old story that is like a parable Jesus would have told. And it's a story about a wealthy contractor. And this wealthy contractor, very successful, he, he brought his faithful superintendent into his office one day and he said, listen, I'm going to go away for about 10 months, but there's this house I want built. And he said, you, here are the blueprints, here's the location. Here's the account at the bank from which you can draw all the funds you need to build this house I want. And when I get back, I'll check it out. And the contractor left. And the superintendent who'd been with him for so many years saw this as an opportunity to give himself a bonus that he felt he deserved. So when it came time on that house to pour the foundation, the concrete, he used a cheaper grade of concrete. And he took the difference and he put it in his own pocket. When it came time to build, the, you know, to build the frame, 
to frame the house. He, he used a cheaper grade of lumber and softer lumber, and he put the difference in his own pocket. When it came to him to wire the house, he didn't use copper. He used aluminum wiring. When it came time to hire the subcontractors, he got the cheapest he could find, shoddy work. And then the day came when the house was done. Ten months later, the wealthy contractor, his boss, came back. And the house on the outside looked great. But inside, it was an insubstantial shell of a low-quality, inferior build. And his boss, the wealthy contractor, looked at him and said, Well, how is it? Do you like this house? And the superintendent says, Yeah, I think it's fine. It's a good house. And the contractor said, Well, I'm so glad because you've been such a faithful worker of mine for so many years. Here are the keys. It's your house. It's your house. Something doesn't magically change when you die, that you lived a shanty life that was cheap and superficial, and then all of a sudden when you die, and it's a mansion reality. It doesn't work that way. You get the life and eternity you build on earth. You are saved by grace, but your life matters. Accountability is real, and only Christ is forever. Be careful how you build. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, you're already building. There's not a day out there in the future where you start building. You're already choosing your foundation. You're choosing your materials. Be careful how you build. I want to ask you to do something today. For those of you who are new, we usually practice communion in such a way that people can do it at their own pace, with their friends, with their loved ones, in their small group, etc. That's the reason we do it this way. So in the corners of the room are the symbols of the presence of Christ, the body and blood of Christ. And one thing you could do today before you leave is just have some, some solitude and scripture time. Take, uh, meditate on what you just heard. Chew on this truth and let God love you I don't know which comes first letting God love us or we love God first but I do know this when we love God first it creates a vacuum that his love fills in and there becomes this connection if you have time today I'd love for you to do that I'd love for you this week to carve out some time of solitude carve out some time of scripture if you don't have a Bible and you don't know the Bible but you want to start building your life on the foundation of Christ, get a copy of Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, and you can start there. There will be a February 23rd date you can turn to, and you can let that be the scripture that God speaks into your life. Give service to someone this week who needs you to serve them. Give support to someone who needs you to support them. And make this week a significant event, because this was the week that you got real intentional about being a heaven-to-earth type temple. When people are around you this week, they got some heaven given to them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this great calling you give us will be absorbed into our beings today and that we leave here knowing that we can choose our materials we can choose our foundation for life. That everyone here is first a person with a relationship with God. 
If we're married and have kids, we're secondly a partner with a relationship with our spouse. We're thirdly a parent with a relationship with our children. And we're fourthly a professional with a responsibility to our job. But our foundation, our identity, our being comes with Christ, the foundation. And we live out of that relationship and that reality. And we get to choose that. So today we do that. In his name, in his character, in his power, in his reality, we pray you make that happen through us. And everybody said, amen. We'll see you guys next week.